Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, my name is Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about morally gray moments in anime. This is going to be sort of like a three-part mini-series within our Girl Taku because there's a lot of these sort of scenes and context to explore within anime. I mean, I think that's what makes anime great is introducing these sort of morally gray moments and characters for people to get into discussion with. And um, and for this particular episode, I'm going to introduce three and potentially four, if we have time, uh, morally gray scenes that made a really big impact for me. And I am just endlessly curious on what people think about them and where they lie on the scale and like who they side with and who they don't. And the best part is there's no right answer because that's the whole point of morally gray situations is it's not so black and white. There isn't a blatant good guy or bad guy. It's just everything is very muddled. And so that's what makes discussion so fun. So um, the first, I I kind of pulled on some classics for this because um, classical ones, I think, are just, I watched them when I was younger, so they made a bigger impact on me, and so I just remember them more. But uh, the first one I'm going to pick is, I think, something that you two are very well aware of, is that very iconic scene where Scar kills Nina after she had been made into a chimera by her, chimera by her father from Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood. That is an incredibly, incredibly important scene within like the anime community and within the context of the story itself. And so for anyone who doesn't know, um, I'm going to set up the situation so you guys can actually follow along if you don't know the scene. Essentially, in there, uh, Nina is this really, really young girl, and she has a father who is in the state alchemist program, who essentially his license was coming up of renewal, but he has to, like, do something to essentially keep the license of it, and he got the license when he created, like, this chimera hybrid that can talk, and so... And so they're expecting him to recreate that. And when Edward, the main character, was sort of like studying at um, uh, Tucker is his name, uh, Tucker's place for sort of, sort of to look for the Philosopher's Stone and to see like, you know, if there's any clues there, um, Tucker creates this supposed chimera that can speak. Except the twist was Edward, Ed and Al quickly figured out that uh, the chimera isn't so much that it can speak. It's that Tucker literally molded both his young daughter and their pet dog, Alexander, into a single being. It was a very grotesque and terrible moment. But the real part that caused, I wouldn't say discourse, but a lot of discussion isn't so much what Tucker did to Nina, which was undeniably terrible and awful, but what what came up afterwards, because Scar was around that time going around and killing state alchemists for out of revenge for what the state alchemists have done to his home, Ishval, and he went and, you know, hunted down Tucker and killed Tucker. But he ultimately killed Nina, who was also there with Tucker, not out of revenge or wrath or anything of that sort. In fact, he did very much a mercy kill. He saw a child essentially combined with a dog's body. And in his mind, he's like, this is never going to get undone. And in, and she's probably going to end up in a lab where everything's just going to be torturous because they're just going to treat her as another lab specimen, not so much a human anymore. And so the right thing to do, essentially, would be to kill her. And when he killed her, it was quick, it was painless, it was instant. And so, um, which sounds like the right mercy kill thing to do. But what complicates things is that the chimera were, the chimera that Nina became, it's, it's very obviously, it's like Nina's brain or Nina's personalities and charge sort of combined with Alexander's body. Alexander is the dog. And Nina made it pretty clear that she did not want to die. She was crying when Tucker got killed by Scar. And she was and she was backing away in fear when Scar approached her. And so so she was self-aware of what was happening, number one. 
And number two, the other argument on the other side, because Ed was extraordinarily angry to see what had happened to Nina and how Scar had killed her. Because the other thing that is that a lot of people argue is that it's not set in stone that she couldn't get reverted. And certainly the anime made it clear that with the Philosopher's Stone, you can really break all sort of laws that uphold the world with it. And with that fact, like the Philosopher's Stone could have without a doubt essentially fixed her and made even worse is that throughout the series, we don't even just see one Philosopher's Stone. We see multiple Philosopher's Stones. So like there were so many that people could have used. And while Ed and Al personally might not have ever used them as that was their own philosophy, we know for a fact that there are other state alchemists who are not against using it, such as Roy or Marco, who, um, you know, whether it was using it to help them fight on the battlefield or for Roy getting his eyesight restored. And so, and so there is the fact that there was a solution to this, that she could have been fixed and she could have lived out the rest of her life again, normally as a child. And on top of that, she was self-aware and she didn't want to die. But then, you know, we have Scar's end of the thing where it was like, it's a mercy kill. He really did do it completely painlessly and instantly. And he didn't do it with any sort of malicious intent. He really meant for it to be sort of like a not gift, I would say, but sort of like a reprieve from what she's gone through and what she might go through in the future. And so it's become a big discussion in this big scale of where you stand. Do you stand more with Scar? Do you stand more with Ed, Ed who was really upset towards Scar for making that executive decision to, uh, to kill Nina? And then there are people who are, you know, in the middle who lean a little, who lean more towards Ed and they're like, this feels wrong. I would, I don't agree with what happened, but I don't blame Scar for what he did. And then people who lean more towards Scar where they're like, I think we, what he did was right. I just know that I personally wouldn't be capable of doing such a thing. And so, um, so this is a really morally great moment that actually did cause a lot of conflict within the anime itself. It was a huge plot point throughout the series and also a breaking point for the characters in their motivations and what they're trying to do. And so um, out of curiosity of the scene, where do you guys lie on this scale? You know, like, are you guys more with Ed? Are you guys more with Scar? And sort of like, why? Uh, for me, I land more on uh, Scar's side. First off, off the topic, actually, morally gray moments are actually hard for me because as we discussed before, I like things to be black and white. So I have to stand on one side, <laughs> no matter what that side is. <laughs> um, so yes, it just ends up being on Scar's side because I feel like, even if Nina was left alive and, you know, there is that chance that she might, you know, be reverted. I think in that moment, at least, um, you know, she was suffering in a sense. I mean, her father did die right in front of her. And even though he was a very bad father, he he was technically her only family. So I also feel that even if she lived as a chimera and kept living, like who would take care of her? I mean, Ed can say, yes, I'm going to save her or something, or, we can bring a philosopher's stone to possibly save her, but who would take care of her? I don't think Ed um, and anyone else could take care of her. And not only that, she would possibly be the only Chimera living. Um, there aren't any any other, you know, um, people like her. So I feel like she would feel very lonely, and she would just be more. She would end up suffering more um during that time and so I think Scar did the right thing it was it's very grim but um I think it was necessary okay and what about the fact that um because a big thing the biggest wrench that was sort of thrown into the situation and I know I'm making your life difficult I'm sorry Isabel this whole episode <laughs> is meant to make your life difficult but um the the biggest wrench that people feel like that made this thing such a big deal and a huge discussion point is the fact that Nina was self-aware and she didn't want to die. Like that was probably the biggest wrench that was thrown in. Cause I think there would be a lot less discussion if she didn't show that. And in the original uh, anime series, the FMA for 2003, uh, Nina actually ran to Scar and very much purposefully sought him out to essentially give her a mercy kill. So that made the whole 
sort of discussion a lot quieter because of that. But in this particular case, she was very clear of the fact that she didn't want that. Like, she still wanted to live. Like, with that fact wrenched, like, you know, thrown in, like, do you still, do you still think Scar did the right thing? Yeah, I personally still think so. I, I, I get that, you know, she's probably afraid, afraid of dying because who isn't afraid of dying? Right. Met with that type of thing. Um, but I think also, you know, when you're faced with that situation, you also want to have that sort of hope to live. And I think Scar, based on his past history and with everything that he's seen, I think he also saw in that moment how how she would be treated or how she would actually live in the future. So yeah, I'm still going to see on the side, even though I feel terrible. About it. <laughs> it's okay, Isabel. We all feel the same. <laughs> it's okay. We're here together now. <laughs> Okay, and (laughs) and, okay, Agnes, so uh, I'm going to guess you're with Scar just based on how how I know about you per se, but but let's hear your take on it. (laughs) I am, I would not do it myself. I don't think I'm even capable of doing mercy kills (laughs) at all. But I definitely do agree with Scar's reasoning why he would kill Nina on two fronts that one, Nina would not be able to survive by the end of the uh, of her life anyway. She'd be very lonely. She'd probably be experimented in another lab. Or she would not be able to reintegrate into uh, society. And then I think what the flip side's really interesting is that Scar has seen, or at least like what Ishval was meant to be used for, as was later shown in the series, the importance of all these civil wars happening in Amestrius. And that even if you treat somebody with the Philosopher's Stone, the Philosopher's Stone is an accumulation of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of people sacrificed for it. Yes. So then the real question becomes, what is the better good? Oh, like, I mean, I think, isn't that, wasn't that the problem that was plaguing Ed as well, is once knowing what the Philosopher's Stone was. Right, and, exactly. Like, they were like, I can't use it anymore for our thing, knowing that there are human lives literally within this stone to make it operate that way. Yeah. Right, so then it becomes the question of, do you save one life or do you save many lives? Which is like a very ancient philosophy question when it comes to the survival of human beings. And so I think with Scar, probably knowing that the philosopher's stone is not was not based on human experimentation but knowing that the philosopher's stone is something that is unattainable and is something that is very horrible probably took out nina knowing that it won't save her life at the end of the day Mm, i see what you're saying it will just be worse because what if nina finds out through research through marco's research that she was saved because thousands of other people died for her yeah you know, mm-hmm. um, and then there's also an interesting part where we were talking about this because I also considered a lot about uh, religion mm-hmm. as well coming into this. Okay, uh, Ishval Ishval operates, I guess, similar in a similar sense of like the Middle East with like different religious values versus Amestrius is more Western without the religious context. So I wonder if he also thought of it uh, in a religious context as well, saying like you know. You can create and destroy things because that is part of the natural process and law, but creating some a new life through like chimerical means is something that is not prohibited in the laws of the natural world. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, okay, okay. Because I, I was like, that took me a while to like think about it, but yes. And I think, and that was, um, and that's what made Scar as a character so interesting too for Mal Alchemist Brotherhood was that he did have that religious aspect that a lot of the other characters did not. I would say he was probably the only character that believes. He's, in he's the only one. He's the only one that actively uh, was practicing in a religion yes. for the evo- the Ishvalsha. Il- Ishval in state religion, while his brother was more of the heretic because his brother was studying alchemy and actually forced him to take his arm of alchemy too at the end of the day. Right. So oh, yeah. I guess like with Scar knowing like what it's like to have people force their choices on you, he probably did feel very sad for Nina that he is forcing his choice onto hers. Right. But it's better than living with a burden. I because s- now he lives with a burden mm-hmm. of like an arm that kills yeah, um, that's- but Nina, at least Nina can can live. She can finally be free. She doesn't have to be shackled to the the uh, point of like, you know, she's she's an experimented being. She's basically a lab rat, mm-hmm, right? Right. Uh, and then one other thing I would follow up is like, do we really know if Nina knows that she's in a chimerical body? 
I don't know. That's that's a good question because we don't have any indication that she's Because aware. if she did know that she was in a chimerical body, that would really complicate things. But what if she reacted to Scar purely because she thinks that she's Nina? She thinks that she's normal and all she just sees is her dad being murdered. That and so makes then you just it see even the worse! Indi- <laughs> <laughs> kick, 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 kick. So what is so it's like I guess Scar did the right choice and then so we'd have to ask like what other anime interpretations could we have with Nina? Did she see herself as human oh, or did no, she know she's already a chimera? Oh my yeah, gosh, that would be mm-hmm. the fact that now that I know like there is a possibility she doesn't even know she's become a chimera just makes the whole thing so much more devastating in my opinion. Like, <laughs> stop evil laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh yeah no i think i think um i really like your point of like pointing out the fact that like it would be a burden even if she does become fixed because someone chooses to use the philosopher's stone to fix her and stuff like it doesn't it won't erase the trauma that she had to live through during that process before becoming fixed. And also, like, what is she going to do afterwards? Because you are right. Like, Isabel, you are right. She doesn't have any other family. There are other human chimeras, as we saw with uh, Dorian or as Ed calls him, Mr. Gorilla. <laughs> and so um, and they like but they're adults and they've already forged like their own friendships and relationships with people. So they're a unit. And it's really hard to imagine her sort of just joining in with them that easily especially when she is a child and those that we later meet are very much adults and so um so you're right it is just even if she had gotten fixed it it, there's just there's just such a slim chance of everything working out in the end right and most of the people who did get like fixed by the philosopher's stone namely like edward and roy they knew the consequences of the stone oh ed didn't even even use the stone actually yeah he didn't like, use he just he just said uh, f you the truth <laughs> and got his limbs back yeah exactly but, but roy knew about the philosopher's stone but he used it to restore his eyesight so that he can repay that as well he carries the burden of many people who were killed to create the philosopher's stone but he uses it so that he can restore a better version of Amestrius and right the wrongs of that Philosopher's Stone in general. So like there's a lot of really good like character beats that follow it with the use of the char- of the Philosopher's Stone, but I don't think it would have worked well if it was used on Nina, if it was used to just simply restore her. Okay. That's that's such a good point. I'm um I'm with you guys. I side with Scar. I think what he did was right and I, I for me it was just like I don't I know I know the argument the other side of the argument. And I think that's what makes this whole thing so morally great is that it's not like both sides hate each other in any shape or form. Like I totally get the other side of feeling like it's just wrong because she's aware and she doesn't want to die. And um, the fact that she was showing that makes the whole thing difficult and stuff. Like I totally get it, but it's just imagining sort of the torture and the trauma that she has to go through before she gets to that sort of hap- potential happy end, I just didn't think it was worth it. And, and you know, people have made arguments saying like, well, this is, you know, not really different from a lot of stories where a miracle happened and that like, you know, they're suffering from some chronic illness and they're dying and it's torturous. And, you know, um, like there's one very famous Chinese story of a kid who um, who needed like this special transplant thing for her cancer and it was torturous waiting for that transplant and at one point because um, her parents decide to like roll the die and like get pregnant again to see if like their second child could provide that transplant to her and her oldest child was the daughter was suffering from the cancer and it was so painful that at one point she was like mom dad just go home and let me die and just have the second kid and like live happily and stuff like that and and you know and that ended with a happy ending because the second child ended up having the exact like type of thing that the first child needed to have the transplant survive the cancer treatment and stuff and so she made it out and she grew up and she became you know, she went to college and she became successful and stuff. But it was like there was a point. So it's like I get the argument of the other side being like sometimes like suffering through that is worth it because 
you know, I'm sure the girl who did suffer through that cancer treatment um, to the point that it was so painful that she literally was like, let me die is probably did think it was worth it now. But it's just like, I, I just think I just think there are some things you just cannot overwrite in regards to the trauma it leaves on you and sort of like the pain it does. But that being said, I'm also like you, Agnes, I could never do a mercy kill. So it's like, I agree with what Scar did, but I know for a fact that I would be a coward and I cannot do it. So. No, I would not be able to do a mercy. I would give the gun to somebody else and ask them to do it. I could not do it myself. Yeah, like I can't even mercy kill my fish. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can, don't even think about me mercy killing a person. So. No, yeah, it's the same for me. I can barely touch ants. So I'm like, uh, okay, I'll leave them alone. You guys no, are I so really cute. I would incinerate but... ants. <laughs> I swear, I, I really can't. I There was one time I definitely was supposed to mercy kill my fish and I couldn't do it. And so, yeah. <laughs> uh, but okay, that uh, that aside. Uh, so that's the first really morally gray one that has always generated a lot of discussion. Um, so thanks for sharing that. Uh, I'm, I'm very surprised to hear we're all on the same page, but it's also really cool to like hear why we're on the same page. Cause once again, like Agnes and Isabel, you guys pointed out stuff that I definitely did not think of. And so that's like part of the thing of what makes this discussion so fun. But, um, anyway, so the second part is, uh, also pulling on a classic anime, which is Naruto. But the one I, the one thing I wanted to point out was specifically Itachi as a character. And Isabel, I know you love Itachi. And so I'm sorry to bring this up as a topic, but, um, <laughs> essentially, if anyone doesn't know about this, the situation with Itachi is Itachi made the executive decision to essentially wipe out his clan in order to prevent a civil war because the Uchiha clan was starting to feel really ostracized and just uh, alienated from Konoha, the village. And they were thinking of, you know, essentially starting an uprising. And on one hand, you have, you know, if you let the uprising happen, there's going to be a civil war. And the worst part is the civil war is going to, like, you know, really hurt both sides. And then on top of that, there are surrounding enemy villages who might attack and essentially also wipe out the village as a whole. So that's on one hand. And for anyone wondering like about peace talks, peace talks at that point was already a no, a no starter. Unfortunately, um, the bridges have essentially been burned too much. And both uh, a major fall actually lying on the Konoha side. Um, and they all, it's been like a stated fact that if Minato had still been alive, this wouldn't have happened because Minato's wife, Kushina, is actually best friends with the Uchiha clan's uh, wife. Um, so they, so that's a little harder to get the bridge burned when you have two wives um, being best friends. And so, but so peace talks was already off the table. And so we have either let the civil war happen or either don't. And the only way out of not letting the civil war happen is just completely in eliminating one side of um, the conflict, which in this case was the Uchiha clan or Itachi's own family and own people. But the single thing that he did is he left Sasuke alive because that's his little brother and he didn't want to kill Sasuke. And on top of that fact, he himself feels a lot of guilt of making that decision and having to do that and secretly like really just wanted another Uchiha to kill him because he felt he feels like he deserves it. And really Sasuke was the only option. And Obviously, when this, when this whole reveal happened, everyone poured love towards Itachi. They thought he was amazing and he was a badass and he was analytical and all these stuff, which I still very much agree with. But I think something that has come up recently is people are starting to realize, hey, Itachi left a, a whole wave and wave and wave like of trauma onto a very young child and a lot of responsibility on him as well. Like essentially manipulating him to be hateful towards him so he could feel reprieve from murdering his own family and stuff. And, and it's become this big discussion of like, here, like was, it's not, okay. It's not so much whether Itachi was right or not to try to prevent a civil war, because I think everyone would agree trying to prevent a civil war is really important. 
But the big thing, but the other big thing, and something that Sasuke himself points out when Sasuke uh, reunites with the reanimated, um, temporarily reincarnated Itachi, was like, do you have any idea how much pain and trauma that has done to me? And like, has basically became his foundation growing up is this severe trauma. And at one point, Sasuke was talking about how just waking up every day hurts to like just even breathe and he was just like why didn't you just kill me with everyone else because that would have been so much less painful instead of like leaving me alive to do all these things and manipulating me to do it because I didn't know like this was your whole game plan and your purpose and this has become a big discussion point now being like you know was Itachi quite cruel actually to leave Sasuke alive even though he did it out of love like, was the right thing to do. And here's on the other side of the spectrum with, you know, Scar, Scar doing the mercy killing. Here we have someone who did not do that. And so it's like, was he right to have let Sasuke alive and, like, let him go through years and years of, like, PTSD and anger management issues and all these mental health issues without question? Or would it have just been kinder for him to just kill his younger brother along the way um, since he had already uh, promised himself to kill his side of the family to prevent the civil war. Or or do you guys even think he should have just let the civil war happen? You know, like, um, so what are your thoughts in this particular regard? <laughs> yeah, Itachi as a character is just so complicated with everything. And, you know, based off the civil war and uh, everything he had to do and even past just traumatizing Sasuke, mm-hmm. I feel like he was suffering on his own as well. So I don't know. I'm actually torn. Like, I actually don't like the way he treated Sasuke for the longest time because I didn't know either. As a as a reader, as a watcher, I I was totally on Sasuke's side. I was like, Itachi is an asshole. I don't know what he's doing or why is he doing that. He should not be acting like this as an older brother. Mm-hmm. But then when you slowly see what Itachi went through, then you you're you're confused and you're you don't know uh, what to do about it or what to think about it really. Yeah. Yeah, Itachi had some really tough love for Sasuke, like, uh, very, very tough, tough love. I mean, okay, as well, now that I'm thinking about <laughs> Tough this, is an understatement. <laughs> like, now that I'm thinking about you're an older sister as well. Like, you know, so you mm-hmm. have, like, you know, you have a younger sister. You've mentioned her uh, a few times on on this podcast. And so I'm just like, as an older sister, like, not that you would ever be in this situation, you know, where you have to prevent a civil war. <laughs> but, like, as an older sister, even knowing Itachi's side of the story, like, like, where do you stand on him? Like, was he right? Or do you think he was wrong? Or, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the re- yeah, as an older sister, like, I totally, like, put myself into Itachi's place, uh, you know, once his whole backstory was re- revealed and everything. And that, that scene with him and Sasuke, I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, exactly the scene I would probably have with my sister or something like that. And I can, I feel like Itachi was also, like, selfish in a way that, yes. you know, he just wanted to keep Sasuke alive. Uh, you know, just for his sake, in a sense, and I think as an older sibling, I can also relate to that. I feel like just like because you'll just have that one piece of thing, and you, you know, I just I, I would not kill my little sister. It's so hard. I feel like that would probably I would probably just kill myself after. Yeah, I definitely like her a lot. So like, I think when you have younger siblings like that, you it's it's like they're they're like your children in a sense. Or, like, you know, especially between, because Itachi was, like, much older than Sasuke, too. I can, like, he loved him so much as a kid, like, honestly. And Sasuke looked up to him, so. And even though I feel like those memories are kind of in the past for him, I think he still kind of wanted to keep him, like, oh, I still know Sasuke's, you know, alive or something. He's still learning. Um, But I really, I really can't stand on either side. I like Itachi as a character, but I also wish he couldn't have tormented Sasuke so much. So that's kind of where I stand. It's like in the middle. I really can't choose. I, <laughs> I am confused and I have no side. And so this whole situation sucks. It's basically it. Yes, that's that's what I feel like. <laughs> All right, Agnes, you only child. Where do you stand on this? I love the story beats. I think it adds definitely a lot more depth to Sasuke and Itachi as a whole compared to like earlier Naruto where you're just like Sasuke's emo and has weird clan issues and Itachi's like this weird outcast, right? Um, it's, it's a great way to tie together the two paths. 
Personally, though, I don't think Itachi should have spared Sasuke or the fact that Itachi never tells Sasuke why he did the things that he did. Yeah. Um, and this is like, and so here's the, here's the other thing. So more and more recently in social media and across the internet, we start to learn more that children are rather impressionable and children are rather perceptive of many things that happen between them. You know, you hear from accounts of children who notice when, you know, parents are starting to get a divorce. There's some sort of discord going around the house. There's, you know, a domestic violence and things like that. Children aren't as, I guess, dumb as we think they are. They aren't as oblivious with these things. And although Sasuke was very young and Itachi was carrying an incredible burden to kill his whole family, I feel like Itachi should have explained it to Sasuke or at least some remnants dropping into it growing up saying like, I don't think what we're doing right now is the best thing. Granted, it would have really changed how Sasuke would have been as a character and it would have kind of ruined the whole storyline, I guess. But if if Itachi had told Sasuke about what was going on before, like he killed their family and maybe like secreted him away to another part of the village to get help or to like reveal to him and have Sasuke like potentially help him take down the family, then it might have repaired a lot of their relationship. And Sasuke may have not been the traumatized boy that he was now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like one of the biggest thing is it's undeniable that Itachi... Like, you know, like Isabel said, like, this was out of selfishness when Itachi spared Sasuke. And it was also undeniable that he was manipulating his younger brother the whole time. Like, like, it, it, like Sasuke really just had no say on what he wanted to do or should do because Itachi sort of unconsciously dropped things in his mind to go the way that he wanted to. Sasuke to go and the worst part is without a doubt since you mentioned it now yeah he never heard it from Itachi's own mouth he literally found out from another third party member who then quickly used that to manipulate Sasuke for his own thing you know so it's just ah yes that arc Mm -hmm. yes that arc yeah so that's the thing is like there's a lot of I mean it sets up for an amazing dramatical moment right but in hindsight there's a lot of too much miscommunication. And if they didn't have that much miscommunication and Itachi just told Sasuke what was going on, then it would have definitely repaired a lot of their relationship. And Sasuke would not have bo- would not have bred so much of a grudge against Itachi. Hell, they might even like have teamed up together, you know, they take down the family. They did actually later when um, Itachi was reanimated. And that was the that was Right, the but they first- had to reanimate him from the dead to do that. I'm, 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 and I'm under the firm belief, like, if a character dies, they stay dead. Well, they should not the, be reanimated. Here's the sad thing. That was the first and only time they actually had an open communication about what happened and why things happened. And that was the, also, that was the first time we genuinely, genuinely see Sasuke vulnerable and like pouring his heart out because that was when he was like, why didn't you just kill me? Because it's been torture since like going home and seeing everyone dead and like finding out all these things all at once from other people, not from you, you know. And after they had their like actual heart to heart talk for the first time ever, he started to recover. He started to think beyond what all these other people have put roads out on him for. And he started to think about his own path and stuff like that. So, so yeah, it really is just like, it, like if Itachi had just conveyed it to him, it would have really just made a world's difference in what Sasuke's experience is and what his character ends up becoming in the first place. And so, and I'm pretty sure, I think based on Boruto as well, like he still... Sasuke still doesn't mention his older brother. So it is still very much a sore spot for him. It's just he's he's gotten the help he needs to really like stabilize his mental health now as an adult, but it still doesn't change the fact that it's still a huge trigger trauma point for him. Yeah, and the fact that it happened and it'll definitely stick with him throughout throughout the show, throughout Boruto. I don't know what what his daughter might think of it later, like if she's ever curious about, you know, what Oh yeah, she doesn't know. She does not know it was her yeah. uncle who did all that. So yeah. It'll be interesting, yeah. I, yeah. Like, will Sasuke repeat this type of thing, like keeping it a secret, you know, or will he just 
or will she find out a different way? That's interesting too. I almost feel like because I mm-hmm. I do read the manga and, and I've been watching uh, some some of the episodes. The more filler esque ones are the ones I skip because the fillers never disappear from the series. But um, but essentially, uh, from my understanding, it seems like it isn't so much that. Sasuke's ashamed and wants to hide it from her is I just think he genuinely doesn't trust himself to be able to talk about it without like you know potentially oh. re-triggering something within himself and so because he um at the end of the manga when he left the village like it's punishment quote-unquote for exile like temporary exile for like his war crimes because he obviously did commit a lot of those but in like the novel series where it was like through his point of view he also like realized he needed to physically be away from the village because everywhere he looks and walks was triggering him on his PTSD. And like just being physically away was essentially the best way to start recovering from that. And so, yeah, it's just the whole thing has been so muddled and Itachi made that executive decision. And yeah, I just I just think this whole situation is, you know, it's like you said, uh, it's like you said, Agnes, it really added a layer of complex complexity to the story without a doubt and people to this day are still discussing what Itachi did and whether it was right or not so it is like this huge deal but it's just so complicated there's so many variables involved that you know it's really hard to say I'm like as bad as this sounds I'm kind of like he shouldn't have done anything (laughs) like knowing that a civil war might even happen I mean the the other the other best alternative is just take your brother and run. Just yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry, oh, that, yeah. I, I remember that timestamp. Just run. Don't even look back at Konoha. Just let it burn in flames. Just run to the next <laughs> village that will take you in. Yeah, like I'm that person where I'm like, this is beyond my control. I don't know why you put all this pressure on my shoulders, but I'm not dealing with it. <laughs> I have a feeling if all of us were in that kind of like world catastrophe kind of situation, we'd all just yeet out of there. We wouldn't even care. I would yeet. I, I would be the first one to pull out the window and say goodbye, everybody. I mean, if I really was myself, I probably would have been like, no, peace talks can't be off the table. I will make it happen, dang it, because I'm that person. <laughs> like, I am that mediator. I've mediated conflicts since I was in elementary school. Literally, when friends fight, they come to me for me to mediate them and figure out what's happening so i would be like no peace talks are still on the table but this is itachi itachi is not me okay he is not an extrovert in any shape or form so there is no way he would have done this um what's his personality type by the way oh i think he's an infj INFJ, okay. Yeah, he's actually a pretty good classic INFJ in regards to how INFJs are very good at manipulating and they are, but they they often are like more self-righteous than they seem is essentially what it is. And um, and they really keep stuff to themselves. They do not communicate. So, <laughs> oh. yeah, but anywho. Okay, so that's the so that's the second one um, that I wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on, and you know, you know, loves these sort of discussions. So I'm gonna move on to the third one, which is another classic anime. Like I said, um, these classic anime morally gray moments I think just made a bigger impact on me since I was like, when I was younger when I was watching them. And as Agnes pointed out, kids are a lot more impressionable than people realize, and so. My third one is about Shigure as a character in Fruits Basket. Mm. So there's been a lot of discourse with regarding that. So Shigure in Fruits Basket is uh, the spirit of the dog. And there's been a lot of discourse with him because it's made pretty clear that he is very manipulative of people. And he is very good at doing it in a way that no one else around him seems to realize except for his two friends, Ayame and uh, Hattori. And the only reason why the two of them know is because he's not manipulating them. They just, they're they're friends and they're always together and they just know him too well. And so, um, and without a doubt, he's extraordinarily manipulative towards Akido, which is insane because Akido has so much power over everyone in the Zodiac but him. He's the only one who can stand up to her, who can speak up against her, who can purposefully say things to her to like hurt her and make her like upset towards him or panic or something like that. No one else has that power over her than him. And many people have pointed out and 
do not are not happy with uh, Akido and Shigure um, as a couple because you know as we've seen in the anime so far they very much still have feelings for each other especially on Akido's side and so um, they don't like it because they're like Shigure is very emotionally abusive towards her he knows what to say to get out her insecurities he knows how he calls her out and he purposefully does things to make her upset and stuff like that so they're like he's uh, he's abusive towards her but what makes Shigure in this whole situation so unique and I think very rare in any sort of storytelling is that usually in an abusive relationship, there is the abuser and the abused. And the abused is very much a victim and a very nice person and is kind of like an extreme doormat. And the abuser is the abuser. But that's not the situation with Shigure and Akido because... If we really line up everything that the each character has done, Akido actually look who is essentially the victim in a in that sort of like you know uh, a complicated relationship with Shigure, is actually a lot worse of a person than Shigure is if we just put it down on paper. Because Akido physically abuses people, emotionally abuses people. She uh, she is very manipulative towards them and hitting at their insecurities. And she makes them feel like nothing and abuses her power. And then Shigure, on the other hand, yes, he's manipulating people. But he's manipulating them to break a curse that everyone is suffering from. And on top of that, he doesn't manipulate the people around them to make them feel bad about themselves or make them feel down about themselves. He um, he does it in a way that they don't realize it because he's not making them feel bad about themselves. And even in situations where he's a little bit manipulative, he's he seems to be doing it for the better of the people. For example, um, you know, getting Mayu and Hattori to meet again, it's clear that he wants Mayu and Hattori to get together because he thinks the two of them would be happy together. And it's also clear that he genuinely loves a lot of people around him and in a non-abusive way, like Ayame and Hattori. Uh, he took Hattori away from the... He said it was a vacation, but really it was because Kana, his ex-fiance, was getting married. And so he wanted to take Hattori away so Hattori doesn't have to feel pain or think about that. And he gives very genuine advice to the younger Zodiacs and and to like even like just to nail it in on the head, couldn't know who's in a very unique situation of being uh, broken by the curse. He is he desperately wants his old relationship with Shigure back. He calls him Shigure Ni because Shigure was this huge older brother mentor figure to him when they were growing up, and he really misses that. And it's and, and you can see it, or you can hear it in his voice and see it on his face in the anime that whenever he talks to Shigure, he's in a lot of pain because he wants that bond back that he cannot get back anymore because of, unfortunately, Akito. And so when you put it all, like, you know, in a list, Akito very much looks like the bad guy, and Shigure is the good guy, but in their relationship, Shigure is the one who's holding so much power over her, and that just complicates everything. And so I'm really curious on what you guys think of Shigure as a character. Like, where do you stand on him? Do you dislike him? Do you like him? Are you met on him, you know, sort of, and, like, why? I think Shigure as a character is... Um pretty different at first when you first see him he's this laid-back guy who doesn't care about anything and he forgets deadlines but that's like only the surface level and that's what most of the family gets out of him that they think he's uh, just super silly and i think him as a character he's actually pretty human almost in a sense that he he has the thing that he wants uh, which is akito right and then also just kind of breaking the curse for everyone but it's also balanced between that because he's abusing Akito in a sense, whereas there are, he also wants to kind of help everyone else, um, which is it's like it's like half good and half bad. And then also, I feel like he he just is really in tune with his family or everyone around him, and I feel like he I feel like he says this line too, like he'll be like the bad guy for everyone if he needs to be. Mm-hmm. I really can't. Yeah, so I think he's just taking on that role just to get cha- changes happening in the family. I feel like a lot of the things might not have happened if he wasn't if he wasn't so selfish about being himself and getting what he wants and being manipulative in the sense, even though it's bad and and uh, probably morally wrong in a sense. 
you know, to treat people that way. But I think because he is that catalyst for the family um, on the back end and behind the scenes, I think it really works out for him as a character just to move things along. Uh, but what about you personally? You know, like, do, like, do you like personally looking at Shagray, like, even though, yes, he is very important to the plot and is a very interesting character. Like, do you would you like him if you were part of that family or would you have something against him, per se, for sort of manipulating situations to happen? Mm, that's hard. Um, I personally would rather just not know. I would be like, you know. <laughs> probably someone uh, like the younger generation I would like for him to treat me well and not be this is bliss <laughs> yes. uh, you mean ignorance is bliss oh yes but obliviousness yeah. no yeah that's the same <laughs> I can kind of relate to his character though the manipulating things to get what you want done though so that's why I think I would like him but we have to be like partners in crime if we're not partners in crime then I don't want to know anything okay. at all <laughs> That is perfectly fair. <laughs> okay, what about you, Agnes? I know, like, a long time ago, we've had a discussion about Shigure as a character, but I am kind of curious if your opinions have changed as time has changed and, you know, more of the anime has come out or if, you know, you've sort of stayed the same in your opinion on him. <laughs> no, I more or less stayed the same opinion on him. I agree, like, 100% of what Isabel said about Shigure being important for the family catalyst. And even if me personally does not like him because I don't like manipulative people in general. Right. I get very angry with them. Uh, but knowing that there is that there needs to be a power dynamic to be played, there needs to be somebody who exerts a different kind of influence on Akito, I would probably side with Shigure. Mm. Guns blazing, what do you need me to do? You know, because in an abusive relationship, like you said, you said, Gracie, there's always the abused victim and the abuser. And normally there's no power to leverage against the abuser. Shigure, on the other hand, plays that uh, that catalyst that totally offsets that balance, that keeps the family at bay from Akito and allows them to become free when they want to be. Because someone has to do it. Somebody has to play the bad cop. Somebody needs to distract, I guess, Akito. Abuse her. I guess it's it sounds very harsh when I say it too, and very mean too, that she has to be abused so that other people can go free kind of thing but it kind of works in the same way when you have like a toxic relationship too um somebody needs to put their foot down mm -hmm. yes. either it's you the, abu the the abused victim or somebody on the outside has to help you to do that because otherwise you're still stuck in that cycle yes i think that was my biggest thing because it's like i under okay well, so first of all i also do relate to shigure a bit I um I mean Agnes would know in our MBTI channel, but I am I cannot I cannot say that I haven't manipulated situations before. In a few rare instances, I have because I knew I knew I had the power to do so, and it was driving me nuts, and I wanted to change something, and so um and so yes, I relate a lot to Shigure. I think the biggest thing, the biggest defining difference for me, and Shigure as a character who is holding so much power over Akito, is the fact that literally no one else in the family can ever call her out for it, except for him. And even, and people who say that, like, you know, he's being abusive towards her when he calls her out, or even, like, how Hattori says, like, you know, you're being very mean to Akito, I think people forget about positive toxicity which is actually perfectly reflected in Kureno as a character because Kureno is that positive thing where he was like, I will be by Octil's side no matter what. I will support you. I will comfort you and all that stuff. And all it does is it makes her feel vindicated and feel like she has a reason to act the way that she does. Then that's why Shigure is so frustrating to her because he's the only one who doesn't take that lying down. You know, because she's doing the whole, like, you know, he's part of the Zodiac. I can do whatever I want with him sort of thing. And he's just like, we're just having the same argument and you still don't get it. You know, and it's just like nailing it in her head that there are things that are just not okay. And I think it's just like, I don't see how anyone else has even the chance of giving her a reality check aside from him. And I and there's a part of me that's like, I don't even think what he says sometimes is completely abusive 
because it's the actual truth of what she's doing. So yeah, I feel like sometimes Shigori as a character, you it's hard to hate him in a sense because you kind of see what why he's doing it and you kind of want to root for him to you know if he's definitely putting his foot down it's kind of like standing on the sidelines like oh i wouldn't do that but shigure will do it for me yeah Mm -hmm. i just can't argue against that you know if even if he does it you know for himself but i kind of like maybe i kind of want it done but i won't say anything about it he'll (laughs) definitely do it Mm -hmm. so yeah instead of being in someone like an enabler like kurano who kind of you know allows Akito to do what she wants and thinks that she is right telling someone who's wrong is really hard especially if you know they might go berserk or something is kind of scary but Shiguri I feel like he's also kind of fearless in a sense taking all that on as long as somebody does the dirty job for me I'll support them <laughs> in one way or another you need me to bring the gun you need me to do something for you I'll do the, the dirty work for you but you gotta do the talking because I can't do the talking <laughs> Okay, so uh, my last thing that, because uh, we have a little bit of time. This one should be a little faster, actually. So my last point that I have is, this is the only one that's, like, relatively new, but it's from Dr. Stone. And so essentially in there, there's, like, uh, there's this whole big debate between Senku and Tsukasa that's been resolved now in anime, but before um, they were fighting over was the fact that Tsukasa only wants to bring back, like, certain people within humanity that became stoned throughout the years because he thinks that, you know, older people, older generation people, people with very, like, uh, outdated mindset has just really screwed up society and really screwed up stuff for the future. And this is, like, our chance to really start over and not have those traditional-minded, like, old cultural things pulling us down. And Senku, being the man of science, is like, no, we cannot play God. We cannot just, you know, choose to do something like that. Like, I've already created a way to revive everyone, so I'm going to find a way to revive everyone and, like, get us back to where society used to be. And it came at a really opportune time. Because uh, the world's kind of on fire right now, in case no one's noticed. <laughs> and, um, and there's been a bigger and bigger discourse amongst the older and younger generations. Namely, younger generations, people who feel like the older generation people are always in power. And they're not giving society a chance to really change and to become better like other people do. And so, and so a lot, I could, I could already, I already know if this even happens like right now today, I could see people siding with Tsukasa and be like, yeah, let's destroy all the older statues with the older people with older mindsets because they screwed everything up for us. Like we should not give them that chance when we have a chance to start over. And so with everything, with society itself being as conflicted as it is today, um, who do you guys stand with? Do you guys, would you guys stand with Sinku and be like, you know, we cannot play God and do something like this? Or would you guys side with Tsukasa and be like, this is a chance to start over. Let's do it. I think Agris would agree with me in the, in, in the power of science. We should stand on science. Uh, that's what <laughs> oh, I feel like. I'm actually least. the opposite. Oh! <laughs> the opposite for this one. <laughs> wait, wait. I have to hear this now. Wait, wait, wait. Why? Okay. So my reasoning is, like I said this before in this podcast, whatever stays dead stays dead. I don't like, because the idea of reviving people is already playing with God. Okay, but they're um, not I'm, dead in a sense, I feel like. Yeah, but you don't have to destroy them either. You can just let nature do its thing. If they end up reviving and changing, like how Senku and Tsukasu were, ended up reviving themselves by, you know, the 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 forces of erosion and you know the cre- the creation of acidity, fine, it is fate, it's chance that allowed them to live, but they don't need to resurrect the statues. They don't need to break them either. They can just leave them to the nature's design. Oh, so you're just saying let everything be and just let everything work out on its own or... Right. So you can continue. So I'm siding more with Tsukasa on the idea that we can start rebuilding society as a new. Mm, I see. But you don't need to destroy the past because the past is also equally important too. And they don't, then they should just stay where they are. Okay, so you're you're basically like, we have a new slate. We absolutely should start with this new slate and not try to bring it back to how it was. Because yes, that is what Senku is trying to do. Is he's just, just he's just trying to bring it back to where society was before the stoning happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Well, Isabel, mm-hmm. you're on the other side. <laughs> I am because in my mind, the way that I see uh, everything in Doctor Stone is that 
the people are still alive. They're like they might not be counting the seconds like Senku did, but I feel like they are still alive in a sense. So just being able to save them and and yeah, they definitely shouldn't be just breaking them because that's all effectively the same. Yeah, I don't I don't believe in breaking them. Right, right, right. Yeah, breaking them is like destroying the past. And that's not what I stand for as a history minor. <laughs> you don't destroy the okay, past. I, I think the funniest thing about this is Isabel's thinking about them as people. So she's like, uh, now breaking them because breaking them is killing them. And meanwhile, uh, Agnes is like, no, that's history. <laughs> we we feel like history Every single alone. person is an artifact. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I say that as truth, though, because I was, um, this is more of a slightly off tangent, but one of my history professors pointed out that there has been history projects going on where they're starting to use like Twitter tweets mm. and replies from certain like revolutions and uprisings in the current age as a piece of history. So in that case, like I feel like the people who were maybe like stoned and statuified are also part of that history is that they're from a long ago era. I mean, in the same way, can we say the same thing with graves? Yeah. Yeah, I can see it. I think that I think that if we had the if we had the power to revive people from the grave, do you want to revive your great great grandfather that's lying in the dirt? Do you want to put the ashes together from the urn to recreate your long lost ancestor from like the Roman age? I don't know, fam. But it's it's a little different though from that. How is it? How many years was it between then and now for them? I mean, like. Like millions and millions. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, that's the other point, right? <laughs> but but the thing is, okay, let me see. <laughs> I can say this. <laughs> but the thing is, they they essentially kind of froze in time. So it's like the young people don't stop being young when they wake up from their stone form essentially so it's not so much it's a little different from graves because those people are genuinely they died but in this case they didn't really die they got now it sounds like they got high because i'm saying stoned (laughs) (laughs) okay but what about the people who who allegedly got mummified during the not mummified died during the 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 pompeii explosion but they still they didn't really die did they i mean they did did they <laughs> like i mean yeah i mean cool. see that's the thing we don't even know the state of what this whole big bang explosion was for uh dr stone so we can't really even val- validate if they're dead or not isabel do you have yeah, anything <laughs> i'm not sure you can't pour like magic water on the world I, I forget i'm so sorry i forget the thing that they use no it's okay but it's they fine. won't come back to life but yeah, Dr. yeah. Stone, they will come back to life. So it's like there's still that chance of, you know, just giving them their life back because But would you? I, that's a good I question. mean, if that possibility exists now and if we can revive people from like the age of Pompeii, would we do it? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. Agnes, you're throwing a wrench into this discussion. <laughs> Sorry. These are very interesting to me. This was supposed to be the easiest one, and it's not right now. (laughs) (laughs) All these things, I think they're very fascinating. I'm glad we're having this topic because it is a very difficult topic and it needs like discussion because it now goes into the whole idea of do we want to create like magical elixirs? Do we want to bring back people from the dead sort of thing? Which are all very important philosophical questions yeah, in science. Yeah, and I'm sure there are people who... I feel like most people would agree, like, people who died of old age, there's no need to bring them back because that's, like, you know, that's probably one of the most natural course way to die possible. But I can definitely see people, like, if they lost loved one to a car accident where they were killed by a drunk driver, you know, they, they would probably feel that their loved one absolutely did not deserve to die that death at all. And so, mm-hmm. and so it's like, I can see them like having that elixir and be like, yeah, I, I would definitely use it because they didn't, they didn't deserve to die at that time. And so mm-hmm. um, that wasn't their fault. They weren't the one who was drinking and driving. It was the drunk driver who hit them and was being wrong. And so, yeah, yeah, that does pose an interesting question. Yeah, I feel like we could go on about this because I start thinking about <laughs> stuff like, do we like, you know, because Senku wants to revive everyone. Do we revive people, for example? people who are like murderers or people who yeah. are like, you know, like dictators? Do we revive dictators? Oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, this is more complicated than I thought, actually. Okay, I opened a can of worms and I'm closing this can of worms. Because <laughs> <laughs> then it becomes the question of like, now you're, hand- you're cherry picking the people that you're going to res- revive. Is that even ethical to do? Because now you're just playing God by saying, oh, you get to live, but you don't get to live. Right, but that's kind of what Sink- that's kind of what Sukasa is doing. Basically being like, I'm going to revive the people who are younger, who, you know, can sort of restart the civilization. But then now it's like, well, Sink, on the other hand, plans to revive everyone. So it's like, yeah, are you going to revive murderers and like dictators and like, you know, people who have like done terrible, terrible, terrible things to their country and their people. And so it's just like corrupt politicians like, ugh. Okay, yeah, this is too much. This is too much for me as well. Um, I'm, closing, <laughs> I'm closing this Pandora box. And so um, everyone who's listening, you know, please let us know in the comments as well on, on our social on like where you guys stand on these situations. And maybe you guys will have more of a definitive answer for this last one that I accidentally brought in, not expecting it to be the most complicated one of all. So, um, but I hope everyone enjoyed listening to us discuss these uh, morally gray moments in anime. And we will have two other ones later, um, which uh, either Agnes, uh, one for Agnes and one for Isabel to bring up three or four points that they would like to discuss that's morally gray just to hear our um, opinions on. Um, So that is something to look forward to. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and I hope you will join us next time. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.